appreciate the invite to come tonight. Good to see Jordan and Ethan again. Haven't seen them for a little while. And uh, appreciate your coming out on this cold winter night to spend a little time with us. I've, I pastored in Des Moines area. I've been in Des Moines area since uh, 1979, and this is the first time that I've ever been in Emmanuel Baptist Church. Um, we're knew the Reynolds pretty. Of course, my son Sean and, and uh, James were very close uh, friends, but uh, never never was in this church. And so I just appreciate the invite tonight to be here. Uh, they invited me to be two weeks. Now, that's kind of dangerous because maybe you won't want me to come back, you know. But uh, they said preach two Sunday nights, and uh, uh, it's, so we'll figure on being back here next Lord. They brought my beloved Donna with me, met her in high school, uh, she was a uh, uh, National Honor Society kind of a girl, uh, I was not that, uh, I never have been the teacher's pet, but uh, we brought her tonight and, and uh, together we have, we've been married 50 55, 55 years, have five children and 28 grandchildren. And um, my son, who was with me for 23 years at Adelphi Baptist Church, he's pastor now. They, when I retired, I'm 77 now, and when, when I retired at 71, he, he took over the church and doing a lot better job than I ever did. Uh, my youngest son is school administrator and, and music director there. Uh, so I uh, have a daughter who's, uh, all of the kids, by the grace of God, are in the Lord's work, and we're grateful for that, uh, God's wonderful provision to Don and I. I'm going to adjust a very simple text tonight, very simple text. It's the book of Philippians, if you would, chapter number three. If you stay awake, then I preach short. If you fall asleep, then I just keep on going. <laughs> Philippians chapter number 3, if you would. Beginning with verse number 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to call your attention to that phrase there in verse number 13. Forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. That's, that's the key phrase tonight. And I want you to give me a good hearing. We'll pray briefly. And then I want you to give me a good hearing for just a little while, if you would. Let's pray together. Now, Lord, we've read your word. We've sung some songs tonight. Now, Lord, would you meet with us? There are things that I'll say that I need myself, Lord. And I, as Dave prayed a little while ago, Lord, would you convict us of our sin? If there's something that is said that the Spirit of God could use and will use, 
against us spiritually, I pray we would repent and we would turn and that, Lord, our lives would be transformed by your wonderful power and grace. So, Lord, do the work that only you can do. We ask for the Spirit of God tonight in a marvelous way. And so, Lord, if there's one here without Jesus Christ, oh, may they come to know thee as Savior. And then for us who know thee, Lord, work on our old, cold, apathetic heart that we might walk with thee in the land of the living. So, Lord, bless this message we ask in Christ's name. Amen. That one statement there, forgetting those things which are behind, has in it a simplicity that can change your life and mine. I guess if you want to think about it, who wrote it, it means a lot more if you consider who made that statement. The Apostle Paul, of course, made that statement. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you'll know that he was a man who was zealous for the Lord. In fact, he, he went around, and when he, when he got saved on the road to Damascus, he got, was on the way to Damascus to round up Christians and kill them, throw them in prison or do whatever he had to stop the message of Jesus Christ. You know that if you know anything about the Scripture. He was guilty, as, we, as you read in the book of Acts, when, when the first deacon Stephen was killed, You'll notice that it says there that Paul had consented to a death, really had signed a death warrant, and held the coats and the clothing of, of the people who were stoning uh, Stephen there. Now he makes this statement, forgetting those things which are behind. You know, Paul gets road, saved on the road to Damascus, and, and after he's saved a while, he, of course, writes the book of Philippians. But you understand that when Paul went around and preaching to churches, can you imagine what he heard? Think with me now what he had done to Christians. Do you suppose he went someplace and was preaching and somebody said, Paul, we're glad you're saved, but you killed my husband. Do you suppose he went someplace else and said, heard somebody said, a young man said, Paul, I heard you got killed on the road to Damascus, you know, but my dad has been paralyzed. For the rest of his life, he'll be paralyzed because of the beating that you, that you and, your, and your men did to him. How would you like to hear that? How would you ha like to live with that kind of thing? You know it, it has to be true because... This thing was not done just in a closet. He had done much damage, and Paul testifies that he had a zeal for the Lord and had done, tried to wreak havoc among God's people. And yet he writes here, forgetting those things which are behind. And what was in his closet, in his, it, 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 he had skeleton in his closet that none of us would ever want to have. He was a murderer. He was, he was a beater of an abuser of men's bodies because they had one, one thing that he hated. They had trusted Jesus Christ, and he hated Christ until he met him on the road to Damascus. Forgetting those things which are behind. Tonight, 
I want you to consider with me, I want you to forget four things in your life and mine. Number one, I want you to forget your past sin. Forget your past sin. You say, why do I have to forget my past sin? Because God has forgotten about it. Does, didn't he make the statement to you and I that your sin and iniquity will I remember no more? He said very plainly that when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, he would never bring our sin back up again. And when it's brought up in your mind and, and in mine, if our past sin is brought up, it isn't God that's bringing it up. It's the evil one. Because he knows if he can get you and I to think about our past sin, our sin will lose its heinousness. It will lose its awfulness. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says very plainly in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. You need not turn to it, but I'll quote that verse. It talks about the children of Israel. And truly, it says, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to, to have returned. In other words, what God is trying to say to us, if you're going to think about your past sin, you'll be drawn to it. It will attract you back again. You know, men think about their old exploits and whatever, 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 and about their past sin. That sin draws us, draws us back into it. Forget your past sin. Tell them, Dave, when I, when I went to Bob Jones University in 1971, I was married, three kids at the time, and a year later we had our, our Stacy. So I have four kids. I'm working full-time, going to school full-time, just to try to feed the kids and, and keep a roof over our head. After about uh, two and a half, three years, I started a business while I was going to school. And it was pretty successful. We got up, we had about 13 people employed. And I had a, a man there, uh, one of, I only hired ministerial students or the wives in the business. And so, so I had uh, a, a fellow there that worked for me. He, when we graduated, why he took a, uh, assistant pastorate up in up in Pennsylvania. Lee's background was this. He would had spent eight years in the Navy in the northern North Atlantic on a destroyer. On that destroyer was a, a they had the navigators. Perhaps some of you are familiar with the navigators. They used to be uh, quite popular and they did a lot in the in the Navy on ship and the Bible memorization and Lee got saved on that destroyer. He had, he had drunk a lot uh, before he was saved. He was in the Navy eight years without a couple years and then was a student, of, uh, student with me at Bob Jones University, a ministerial student. 
So after he was assistant pastor for a few years, why, he called me up one day. And he said, uh, hey, Vanderhart, he said, I'm going to come to the Midwest and pastor a church. I said, really? I said, um, where? He told me the name of the church. I got off the phone with, with Lee, and I said, uh, told Don, I said, church is too big for him. Too big for him. I'm a great fan of the Peter Principle. You ever heard of the Peter Principle? Anybody here? Peter Principle basically is the, 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 the basic statement of the Peter Principle. Everybody rises to his level of incompetence. You know what I'm talking about. You work with somebody and he's a, he, he works on the line and they promote him to foreman and he just turns into a terror. You know, he can't stand, he got promoted and now it, it, it happens in life. Everybody gets promoted to their level of incompetence. Well, I knew Lee, he had worked for me. I knew the church that he was going to. I knew his background. Said to Don, I said, church is too big for him. So he comes to the Midwest, and he was there about a year, 15 months, and I get another call from him. Hey, he said, hey, Vanderhart. I'd heard he was starting to have trouble at the church. He called me up and he said, hey, Vanderhart, come and play a game of golf with me. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Play a game of golf. Frankly, I'd rather I'd rather have root canal. <laughs> so I take my clubs and I get the rust off of them, and I go on a hot August day. I go play golf with my friend Lee. I can ne I will never forget what he said on the seventeenth hole. We had talked about his church, talked about the difficulty. We're on the 17th hole on a hot August day, and he says this to me. Vanderhart, if I ever backslide, I hope it's in front of a tavern. And I knew he was done. I knew he was finished. just a few weeks later that he was gone from the church and I lost track of him. Had no idea what happened to him. So I said to a mutual friend, I said, do you ever, ever see Lee? He said to me, you won't believe this. He said, I was preaching in a church in North Carolina. And I was walking down the aisle to the front, and somebody grabbed my sleeve. This was another classmate of, my, of ours. Grabbed my sleeve, and he said, I looked down at the guy, and the guy looked up at me and said, you don't know me, do you? Danny said, no, I don't believe I do. Help me out. And Lee mentioned his name. My friend said, I could not believe what I was seeing. 
He lost his family. He lost his children. He lost everything because he was doing one thing. He was remembering his past sin, and it drew him back into it again. Forget your past sin because God has forgotten about it. And you and I have no right to bring up again what God says he will never bring up again to us. Still with me? Number two. Forget your past enemies. Forget your past enemies. Now, I don't know you folks, but if I knew your life, I could almost say if, if I knew in your life who you knew and so forth, if I would mention a name to you, the hair would stand up on the back of your neck. Sermon on the Mount. And I know you have, but there's one phrase in there, one, only one part of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus Christ, I'm said Sermon on the Mount, I'm sorry, the Lord's Prayer, which is in the Sermon on the Mount. On the Lord's Prayer, there's one verse in there that after the prayer is over, it's the only part that he makes a comment on. Did you ever notice that? Look in Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. Look at verse number 12. And forgive us our debts or our sins or our iniquities as we forgive our debtors or those who have sinned against us. Now that sounds like meritorious salvation. It looks like and sounds like, well, I want you to forgive my sins in the same way because I have forgiven those who have sinned against me. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's not talking about meritorious salvation, that you're saved because you do something. When this prayer is over, I want you to look at verse number 14 and 15. 
The only, that's the only statement that Jesus Christ comments on. He says in verse 14, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It is not meritorious salvation. What that is, is a fellowship verse. What do you mean by that? Well, let me ask you something. I have five children. Did, did I always have perfect harmony with my children when they're at my house? No. Especially when they're teenagers. There were times I felt like Mark, what Mark Twain said. Mark Twain said when a boy becomes 13, you put him in a box and you, cover, you put a lid on the box and you cut a hole in it so he can breathe. And when he's 16, you cover the hole. That's what he said. <laughs> Just because I didn't get along with my, my children and had conflict with them at times does not mean that they were not my children. What you have here is a fellowship verse. And what the Lord is trying to tell you and me, if you're not willing to forgive somebody who's done something wrong against you, you and I are not going to get along. If you're not willing to forgive somebody, another human being, what they've done to you, then you and I are not going to have, we're not going to get along. We're going to have a breach of fellowship. There are some people, I, I imagine in your life, if you walk into a grocery store and you see that person that you do not like, you will go down another aisle. Am I ringing your telephone? <laughs> Brethren, there is no room in your life and mine for hatred. It's totally foreign, totally foreign to a walk with God. You say, they owe me an, an apology. I'm sure they do. I'll not debate that at all. They didn't do me right. That's probably true. But did you ever notice something about the book of Genesis chapter 3? Did you ever notice that passage of scripture who was owed an apology? God did. God was owed an apology by Adam and Eve. They had corrupted his world. And yet, what does the Lord say? Adam? Adam, where art thou? There's a breach here, Adam. two guys in my church you'll get their one was a type A personality you know very aggressive just a go getter kind of a guy 
friend. They had been friends for, I don't know, 45, 50 years. Close friends. His close personal friend was somebody who was a little more reserved. Type A, go get him. His friend, just a reserved kind of well, type A personality had built a house, a spec house, for type B personality. Type B's son bought the house. Type B's son, there were some things in the house that weren't right. So he tells type A personality. Well, type A personality doesn't like what he's hearing. And now type B son tells his dad. Now type A and type B, close personal friends for 45 or 50 years, they are split. And they're both members of my church. How do you preach and have the Holy Spirit bless that kind of thing when two members of your church, one sitting in one side, one sitting in the other side, and they both dislike one another? That could be the case at Emmanuel Baptist. Type B comes to me. <clears throat> he said, Pastor, my friend Type A, just, I mean, we're not getting along, and we've been close personal friends. What do I do? He said, I went to Type A, and he, he didn't even want to talk to me. <clears throat> I said, Type B, there's nothing that you can do at this moment. But I said, one of these days, type A is going to need you. And when type A needs you, you are going to have to act godly. Are you with me? <coughs> Don't sleep or I'll go till midnight. on that door and when type A looks up and sees you, type B has to go away. All the problems are vanished. He said, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of scared. I said, just trust your preacher on this one. Type B goes up Methodist Hospital, comes to the door, door's cracked open, knocks on a little bit, <coughs> peeks his head in, 
hollers Type A's name. And Type A looks up and sees Type B at the door. And when Type B got to the bed, the tears were rolling down Type A's face. There is no room in your life and in mine for hatred. And if it's there, it has. May God convict us of sin because you cannot hate without it affecting you. It affects you spiritually. It affects you physically. Forget your past sin. Forget. your past enemy. I must rush on. Time flies on 9th Street. Number three. Forget your past defeat. How many of your baseball fans about Babe Ruth. He's got a, what's the record, most famous record he holds? Home run. What's the second that he doesn't want to talk about? He struck out more than anybody. Hit more home runs and struck out. Let me ask Babe Ruth about that. He said, do you worry about striking out? He said, I don't worry about that. Let the pitcher worry about it. You got lights going on here. Thomas Edison failed over 1,000 times. And they asked him about it. He said, I now know 1,000 ways how not to build Get your past defeat. Defeat is the best, one of the best teaching tools that God ever uses. Now, you, you young folks, you don't know what a number two pencil is, do you? You know what a number two wooden pencil is? When I was in school, everything had to be done with a number two lead pencil. Now, that number two lead pencil was a little piece of rubber. The eraser. My, now Donna was always, her eraser was always intact, but mine was always gone. And when you got, then you had to bite on that metal. You had to bite down on that metal and squeeze that metal so the rubber would ooze out of that metal so you had a little bit more eraser. Remember, and then it, then you'd run out of that. That metal would rip your page as you tried to erase. Defeat. Nobody likes defeats, but God uses defeats in your life and mine to teach us, teach a lesson. 
You and I have to learn how to fail. Got to tell you a story. towed a car behind that. So we were 75 feet long. Actually a little longer than that. So one time had two of our kids uh, not our flesh and blood but two of our kids from our church. One pastored a church in, in uh, Montana and the other one uh, pastor's wife in Montana and the pastor there in Wyoming they wanted me to come out and preach. They, they'd been kids in the church. So Don and I said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go out there. So we go out there. We're up in Montana, and we're headed on back. Come through this town, and it, it said, scenic route. <laughs> well, I said to Donna, you want to take the scenic route? turned big Peterbilt up this road and I I mean I don't go a mile up that road and I know I've made a mistake <laughs> the road is getting narrower and there is no way no place to turn around so we start to climb and they're climbing climbing and it's so narrow that the hairpin turns I got to put the Peterbilt way and I can look down over the you know over the that cable that they have running down there you know I'm, I'm, I can look straight down you know and it's just and I got to swing way out to make this paper clear the rock over me we climb and says, man, I'm getting cold. I said, well, how can that be? I'm sweating over here. <laughs> <laughs> so then we go by this little, little observation thing, and the DOT, the DOT is there repairing the road. And I can still remember that Montana DOT guy. They were working there, and he looked up, and he goes to his other, other fellow, look at that over there. Look at that fool there, that Peterbilt. climbing and then begins to snow. 8,000. 9,000 feet. I don't care anything about the scenery at all. <laughs> I, I really don't care anything about it. I just want to get over this mountain. So we hit 9,300 feet, I think. Something like there's a flip. See, we hit the top of the mountain. And I breathe a sigh of relief, and we got about five miles to go. Now, all the weather is held by these mountains. All the fog, the, the you know, to the west, you couldn't see a thing. I mean, we're above the clouds. But to the east, it was absolutely clear. 
And from 9,000 feet, I could see, I could see everything to the east. And I made an observation. After that five miles on top of the mountain, there was a sign. You know the saying, what goes up, gotta go down. You have 10 miles of 7% grade. Six gear in the old Peterbilt, throw the jake brake on and down we go. Down the hairpin turns. And when I got down to the bottom, it was absolutely correct in my observation. And this is what it was. When we were at 9,200 or 300 feet, nothing grew there. Nothing grew. We were above the tree line. All the view was beautiful. But nothing grew there. Everything grew in the valley. And when we got down off of that mountain, the alfalfa and the crops were lush. Down in the valley, where you grow. And some of you have gone to a doctor and you've heard him say cancer or whatever. And the, new, the news of that was devastating. And yet you found out that the moments that you spent with Jesus Christ when you, after you were defeated, were some of the most precious moments you've ever had in your Defeat is there to teach us. And you have to be able to forget about your defeats. You cannot go back in your life and redo. What has happened in the past has happened in the past. I can't change what I did, my stupidity, when I was young. I cannot go back and, re and redo what I did as stupidity as an adult. But I don't have to repeat because defeat is a great tool to teach us. And that's what God uses to teach us. One last one. Number four. Forget your past victories. You say, Pastor, why do you want me to forget my past victories? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has new victories for you and I every single day. When I turned 71 and I felt the Lord was leading us to resigned from Adelphi Baptist Church, a church that I had loved and, and, and been at for 34 years. Don and I needed some answers. He led us through verses of Scripture, but there's one Scripture that says in Psalm 92, 14, 
a promise to her and I that we would bring forth fruit in our old age. That she and I could have victories in our old age. That I didn't have to rely on what, what happened 20 years ago or 25 years ago. That I could have and she could have new victories in Jesus Christ every single day. I just got out of Bob Jones University. It was 19, uh, I graduated in 76. I went to Round Prairie Baptist Church in eastern Iowa between Mount Pleasant and Fairfield, a little town called Lockridge. Boy, a little church way out in the country. How, I, how Don and I love that place. Still do. One day as I was pastor there, I got a knock on the door. Went to the door, and an elderly gentleman was there. He said, uh, Pastor, do you ever have meetings at your church evangelistic meetings? I said, sure. Yeah, we have two a year. Well, he said, if you ever have an evangelistic meeting, he said, I'd, I'd sure like for you to consider having me as, as come and hold those meetings. And I said, well, sir, I'm, I'm certainly for you. But I said, I don't have somebody come in my church that I've never heard personally or recommended to me by somebody, somebody that I know. Oh, he said, I've got, I've got plenty of recommendations. I said, really? So he pulls out this notebook, three ring binder notebook, and it's got all kinds of newspaper clippings in it. Now, remember, this is 1977. And I start looking through this, and it's newspaper articles about the great meetings he had. Most of them were in northern Missouri, southern Iowa. Have no doubt, have no doubt this man walked with the Lord. I mentioned his name to somebody. They said, oh, we knew him. We, we had him in our church. But when I started noticing the dates of all these newspaper clippings, and there were dozens. Remember, I I'm pastoring there in 1977, and all the newspaper clippings were from 1947 and 1948. 30 years previous. I felt sorry for the man. God has something better for you and I than that. You and I can have victories in Jesus Christ every single day of our life. Oh, it will not be great evangelistic means where we're filling halls full of people. There can be new victories over sin. There can be new insight in, in the scriptures as you have your devotions. For Jesus Christ wants us to grow in grace and in the, in the knowledge of him all the days of our life.
Did you notice the text that I read to you tonight? Would you look with me there again in Philippians chapter number 3? We're going to close here. Here's what the great apostle said. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But Paul says, what I've done in the past, it's over. I've done it. I can't. I've got to forget about that. But from this day forward, I'm going to look forward to being obedient to Jesus Christ and walking with the Lord and let him rule and run my life. The wonderful promise that God gave to you and I when we trusted Christ as our Savior. In this same book in Philippians chapter number 1, in verse number 16, Paul writes, Being confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You catch what he said? He tells us that he's not discouraged with us. He tells us in that verse that he's not abandoning us. He tells us in that verse what he begun when he saved us, he's going to keep on performing until he comes back to get us. If he is interested in me, and he's interested in you, then why don't you and I, not only individually and collectively, just let him perform his good work in our lives till he comes. Forgetting those things which are behind. The past sin, your past enemies, your past defeats, and your past victories that you and I say, Lord, I want to walk with you from now on. Give me new victories in yourself. You promised that you'll keep on performing your work in my life when I see you face to face. Brethren and sisters in Christ, we have a bright sermon, and truly, I've given you my heart. Let's pray together. Now, Lord, thank you for these folk that you've allowed to, me to preach to tonight. Lord, perhaps there's some, some area of life that needs to be dealt with. Their mind and their past sins, perhaps it's somebody that they are having difficulty with and just do not like 
there's discord there. Lord, deal with him on that. Perhaps there's past when they've been defeated, they failed. Lord, enable that portion of their life to be a teaching tool. And then, Lord, give us new victories. Enable us to forget the past victories so that we can just concentrate on what you're doing for us now. Lord, thank you for just being yourself. Lord, I wouldn't want to change you at all. You're perfect. And I thank you for who you are and what you're doing in the lives of each one. Dismiss us with your blessing. Enable us, Lord, to walk with thee this week. We ask in Christ's name.